0: Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2, where we look at everything from the WSL to the National League and beyond. My name is Chess Warren and joining us to review the action this week is women's football reporter for The Sun, Sandra Broby. Hello, Sandra. How are you doing today? Fine, Chess. How are you doing? Always good. Always good to have you on. And making his debut, you probably will recognise his voice because you will have heard him commentating on the WSL for the World Feed and on Zone for the Champions League. It's Michael McCann. Hello, Michael. Hello. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Thank you. I'm really excited because we've got some brilliant uh, WSL action to talk about from this weekend. Although there has been the first draw of the season, which is a bit disappointing, but we'll let it go because it was a six-goal thriller. But we're going to start by heading down to the Emirates to relive the mammoth tie of Arsenal versus Manchester United. With a reported over 40k in attendance, us three all, be, all adding to that number, um, United halted Arsenal's 14-game unbeaten run with a shock flurry of goals deep into the second half. Ella Toon opened the scoring before halftime, but Frieda Mannam responded just after the break for a goal on her 50th appearance for the Gunners. Laura Weinreuter then snaked her defender to slice a lovely volley into the back of the net. United responded through their tried and tested set pieces. Zellum looped in a free kick for Millie Turner to slot home at the 85th, and then in 90 plus one, Russo heads the ball home, runs off to celebrate in front of the away fans and puts the game to bed. I, for one, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, Michael. How important was this win for Manchester United?
1: Well, anyone that's followed the WSL for any period of time will know that for Manchester United, they've been stuck in a cycle of of fourth-place finishes. And I'm always hesitant to use terms like big three, or you see a big six in the men's game and this kind of thing. But when you have three teams that have won every trophy going... And have literally been the top three in the league for seven years. They earn themselves to call them that right. And that is what Manchester United are chasing. It's the first time they've beaten any of those three away in the league. And it is the second time in 17 league games that they've won against any of them. They beat Arsenal a couple of years back. Mm. That is quantifying just how massive this is. It should be said, though, this is the third season in a row where they have managed to beat Arsenal in one competition or another. So, you know, last season, for example, I did the Conte Cup quarterfinal where they knocked them out. And, you know, the question I posed pretty much at full time is, is this Manchester United's moment to, to kick on, break that cycle? And they lost to Chelsea in the semi-finals. They ultimately ended up finishing fourth. So it's a great one-off result, but actually what's the meaning of it? And I guess that is, again, the gauntlet that's thrown down here. But the fact that they did it in front of 40,000 at the Emirates. The other thing I see United fans rightly citing is the fact they came from behind. That's something that is pretty new to them in a game of this magnitude as well. means that there is a feeling that it is different. You know, we have Mark Skinner dancing around on the touchline and then coming to us all in the press conference afterwards and sort of talking... With jubilation in his eyes, but also trying to stress, please report, it's just three points. You could see the two sides of him wanting to be very, very, very happy and wanting to stay measured about it. And, and rightly so, you know, Manchester United fans should be happy. It's a big, big moment for them. That being said, I see people talking about they're right in the title race. Yes, on the numbers in the table, they are. But unlike the other teams I was discussing... It's on them to prove that they are, if you want to use the horse racing analogy, someone that's going to, you know, stay the course because we're still, we're still barely anywhere near sort of the middle furlongs, never mind the final ones.
0: Yeah, completely. It's funny you mentioned there about uh, Manchester United coming in from behind because there's been a lot of criticism uh, previously about uh, United's mentality um, when they when they go down in games. I actually exclusively spoke to Katie Zellum, um, the Manchester United captain, after the game about how this game shows they've come a long way. two assists from you and an absolutely wonderful second half performance from you guys. Critics of Manchester United have said before that sometimes you guys have lacked character but I feel like you've really put that to bed today. How do you make of your team's performance especially as the captain?
2: Yeah I think the one thing you can't question is the performance definitely showed character and personality. Um, To come from behind to win the game is probably something we wouldn't have been able to do last year but you can see players like Tomo came on and made such a huge difference. We've got a great strength in depth in the squad now. And we always believe, I think, it was tu- Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. it was 2-2. And we could have easily sat back and took the draw. But we knew we'd come here for the three points. And I'm delighted to get two assists. But it's important. People are on the end of
0: it. And it's a long time coming for Millie. She's had a lot of yeah. chances.
2: So I'm buzzing for her. So, yeah,
0: good win. Do you think that this was due to United's improvement, Sandra, or were Arsenal just not really on form on Saturday evening?
3: A bit of both, I'd say. Definitely in terms of United, in terms of their, as Michael mentioned, just the squad depth, the fact, you know, Nikita Paris was full of running and I know it was quite noticeable she was being targeted through the game and I felt a little bit sorry for her when she got a yellow card because she was getting what I would call the treatment some hefty tackles going in there. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's a bit of both, definitely in terms of United, in terms of, uh, you know, Millie Turner coming back to form, for example, in the back, Haley Ladd putting in a, a very, very good shift as well. And um, obviously Russo being back, Elatoum being back, and Galton causing a lot of trouble. But then in terms of Arsenal, they, you know, ha- they missed the leadership of uh, Leah Williamson and uh, at the back, as well as not having the option of a Raffaele there to offer them more solidity in the defense. But mo the, the person I player I also think they really do miss is, is Kim Little. I mean, it's telling she drives she's very much the driver of that midfield, not just in terms of the creativity and her ability to take out a whole defence with one pass, but she's also unafraid to do that dogged, dirty work to put in the tackles and things like that. And I think not having her in that midfield. Um, as well as uh, not having Williamson I think that was a huge miss because that's a key part of Arsenal's spine so I you know and I wonder whether they might have benefited if they'd started both Marnham and Miedemar rather than bringing Miedemar onto the end perhaps if you had them them on as well I don't know but I think that you know not having Williamson little and and not the the option of Raffaele I think is a bit of a miss for Arsenal.
0: Yeah in regards to that united performance I actually I wrote an article midweek for since 71 about the fact that they seem to be kind of considered as injury fc um at the moment I know it's been joking around on twitter about it but I th- I think think it is true united are very good because they have a cohesive squad they're not world class pl- players like that it's not a squad full of world class players like arsenal have but they're they're very cohesive they seem to trust each other um, whereas on the other hand, Arsenal have almost the opposite of where they all have. They there is a very talented team there, but the squad depth when they don't have that starting eleven really seems to um, let them fall down. Michael, do you think that's that's where that's where they're falling down in, in this fixture, and, and what can Iidal do to fix that?
1: I think sometimes you can be a little bit careful to not jump to too many wider conclusions over one game Um, and I would be wary of doing that sometimes it is as simple as that you've got certain world class players who any team in the world would really struggle to replace in Williamson, in Hafele in Little I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a wider thing for Jonas Eideval to necessarily go and fix as such Um, what I would be more concerned about, which Ida referred to in his post-match press conference quite bluntly, is that in the first half he didn't said he didn't recognise his Arsenal side in terms of the identity and the way they play. His point was, I can essentially along as I can take us not playing well, but I didn't even think we were playing well our way, and I think the sentiment from Arsenal fans is that that's the biggest concern. Um, on a wider level for them. And something that isn't really being discussed yet because of the point we're at in the season, but I still think it's worthy of mention, is that there is a real pressure on Arsenal to win a trophy this season. Um, If they don't, it will be their fourth straight trophy this season since they won the WSL under Joe Montemura, which was back in 2019, which is a long time ago now. And you put that into context of Arsenal's history it will be their longest trophyless run. It already is, by the way, by quite a distance since the weight that they had from when the club first formed on the Vic Acres until they won their first trophy in the early 90s. So that gives you an idea of just how big it is for them to win something this season. So there is that sense of um, expectation there, rightly so, for a club like that. Um, and there'll be an expectation that they'll deliver on one front or another. And obviously within that, your squad management and your squad rotation is huge. I've got some decent contacts in European football. One thing they said that the Champions League group stage has now changed is you have to be really careful how you rotate your minutes of your players to make sure that you've got the right players that you need in the right games. And that task for Arsenal is going to get even more difficult with the injuries and I guess, in a way, it's even more motivation for Arsenal to try and go to Turin on Thursday and get a result. Because if they can get a result in match day three, match day four of that group stage, it takes a bit of the pressure off match day five and six. But you've got a double header against Juventus. So, easier said than done.
0: Yeah, for sure. You talk about um trophies there and the fact that they have gone trophyless since since 2019. In the post match, Catley said this about pressure in the league. I think we were much better in the second half. We defended
4: on the front foot and controlled the game, and I think we. We're in a really good place when we gave up that set piece and obviously they converted and, and great ball, great finish, um, but it's something we have to look at if that's where we're conceding on set pieces because otherwise I think we're in control and we're creating chances and we felt pretty good so it's really disappointing to give up the points but you know it's early and, um, and we back ourselves and uh, it's a long way to go in the season so we'll continue to keep our heads up and continue to play good football definitely do you think this puts
0: more pressure on the rest of the season uh, for your team and how do you think you're going to be able to cope with that
4: I mean I think this league is full of pressure anyway I think if you're constantly winning there's pressure if you've lost a game there's pressure Um, so it's about how you bounce back and like I said it's a long season and as long as we continue to play the way we are then we'll get results and um, obviously like I said there's something we've got to look at for the set pieces the defending set pieces and if we get better at that then that's how you learn and um, yeah, we'll bounce back and be better next
0: week. Realistically, have Arsenal actually just shot themselves in the foot here by letting United snatch the points? Sandra, what do you think? Are they going to be able to kind of come back from a thing like this? Because a shock loss was what cost them the season last year.
3: That, that I think it's a bit early to, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a dent, definitely. But who's to say that, um, you know, I mean, a Chelsea would Chelsea, you'd think that they're just going to just, you know, charge through. But you never know, you know, they may well end up dropping points. Potentially, you never know, against the City or something. It all depends. I think it's quite, if it was like, say, we're talking around March, I'd say that would be a bigger blow because you're coming, you know, towards business end of the season. But it's it's quite early to say, I think. I mean, it's a dent, definitely. And, you know, if you're a betting person, you would say, well, Chelsea are just going to just do as they normally do and just plunder through the season, make sure they don't, uh, you know, and just win all the games and that that will be that title wrapped up because they've got that experience but we don't know what's going to happen I mean we, we know we now know obviously United are more than capable of pulling off uh, you know this is a big kind of milestone where I say to a certain extent they don't even know they have beaten Arsenal before but this is significant they're now saying you know we can if we can we can beat a top three side although they've yet to do, you know do that with um Chelsea but I think it's a bit early to kind of say oh Arsenal might have shot themselves in the foot. I think there's uh, going to be a few twists and turns. And it'll also be interesting to see what some of what I would say the bogey teams do. I mean, Aston Villa are looking like a bogey team. If you're United, you'd be wary of them with that game they've got coming up next in the league. It's because they're a different prospect altogether this season. They might be one that might trip, uh, you know, a top so-called top three, top four side up. But um, yeah, a bit early to to kind of say Arsenal shot themselves in the foot, I think.
0: As a kind of aside away from the performance, in this fixture uh, at the Emirates, there was a proper designated away end. We need to talk about them. They had one here. It was packed and rocking. If you've seen the clips of Russo running off to celebrate in front of them, you will know exactly what I mean. Sandra, what? who is holding back away ends? Are they logistically difficult to manage? Like, What are clubs so afraid of?
3: I, I mean, they, the, the club should be fine in theory. I mean, I don't know whether it's because they, they're worried about whether they think there's going to be an issue, if it is it to do with stewarding, but there shouldn't be a holdback because it really does help to to create the atmosphere. We know that the the Man United fans, um, in particular, you, you know, Natalie and a few others have been pushing, uh, you know, to have more away ends. And, and there's a keenness amongst some of the, you know, Um, supporters in the WSL to to have that away end uh, atmosphere because it does bring games to life. I mean, in the Champions League, for example, um, when Chelsea played Vlasnia, the Albanian um, top flight champions, I mean, their fans, although I reckon some of them are probably from London anyway, but their fans were incredible. You know, they they really, the team were getting hammered, but the noise they brought to that game, and not just the noise, the the smoke flares, which, you know... (laughs) So I don't think Chelsea were expecting it. wasn't ideal for them because, you know, you could get into trouble uh, for it. But they just really created a very, very lively atmosphere. And if anything, it, ha- it helped to kind of energise the Chelsea supporters even more. And, th- and they're, they're lively anyway. But I think there's something to be said about having a good away end because it really does help create the atmosphere. You know, I felt the Arsenal fans were responding to the United fans because they were raucous for most of the game. And in particular, obviously, when United equalised and they took the lead. But I think the, you know, the, I, I can imagine more away ends bringing up. I don't think you can hold them back, you know. And I mean, for example, with the Manchester Derby coming up, um, one of the fans was saying to me, oh, we normally sit together with the City fans, but there is a, a kind of keenness to have an away and to create that kind of, um, not in a negative way, a tribal atmosphere when you go to, when, you ha- when you're when at these, these um, games, these big games. So I, I imagine there'll, there'll be more of them in the future.
0: Michael, I know you're incredibly passionate about um, away ends, the inclusion and not inclusion of. What's your take on this?
1: Yeah, I remember, it's funny, it's almost like you can't talk about away ends without mentioning um, Natalie from the Manchester United Barmy Army. But our first chat, um, as journalists to commentate, you speak to loads of people for research, but I first talked to Natalie in 2019 when I was about to do the Manchester United-Liverpool game. And that was the first time... This Manchester United Barmy Army sort of came up as a thing. And I remember chatting to Nat in comms prep for the game. And it was just so clear that this is a way that you kick the game on in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of the excitement, in terms of, you know, the scenes of that Russo goal of you notice at the full-time whistle, tune and goes straight over there before even shaking hands with anyone to because she happens to be near there when that moment happens. It's just to me, it's a very obvious thing. There's a bit of an old school idea in some of the women's football community that, like, oh, if we start this, is there going to be ton, you know, trouble and all this? I must say, I think that's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, and I can't really say I've ever seen any evidence of it. The other thing I've heard is the whole. Well, it's really nice to sit with my mate who doesn't support them. Well, it doesn't support my team. Well, yeah, there's nothing to stop me doing that in the home end. You know, there's plenty of Manchester United supporters who were in the home end on Saturday in front of us in the press box who were writing to the front row afterwards to get autographs and things signed. But there's no sign of any trouble. Like you can have it both ways. You can allow people to sit together if they want to in the home end, but most people, particularly away fans, because they're the most committed and vocal, right? They they don't. It's a bit uncomfortable to, you know, you score and it's like you go up for the goal, but someone's right next to you. And I'm not going to name clubs, but there's certain clubs that have been very difficult in accommodating, um, particularly that vocal Manchester United bunch, but also other clubs. chelsea have got a good away following. Um, there's various teams that are starting to get bigger away followings, and they turn up. And because only one stand's open, you know, and they're, they're not allowed to buy tickets in a block, they all have to buy their tickets in different places. And then they turn up and have to try and sit together to start singing. But then stewards start saying, oh, you can't move from your designated seat. It's all a bit silly and a bit ridiculous, much like the thing with fans having to sign up, create an account, create a membership for a team they don't even support to get one-off tickets for a game. Like, why are we making this difficult? And it should be said that that away end for the game on Saturday was by no means a dead cert. It was ne- never, like, always going to happen. There was a bit of debate around it and a bit of sort of publicly, you know, confusion, shall we say. And then Ian Wright tweeted that it should happen. And then it happened. Now, I'm not saying that could be correlation without causation, but there was some confusion. And then Ian Wright said an away end's happening or should happen, I should say, and then it did. To me, it should be very obvious. There should be a mandate from the top down that if an away team requests an away end, they get it, and that request is not allowed to be refused, and that that away end allows them to sell a percentage of dedicated tickets at the ground, whether that be 10%, 15%, you get my drift. There shouldn't be this sort of confusion, because then that makes it very simple. If an away end doesn't happen fans will know that that's because their club hasn't requested an away end. Because if they were requested, it has to be abided by. So then they can go to their club, there's no ambiguity and say, hey, we know that if you'd have asked for an away end, you'd have got one. Why didn't you do it?
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned about the accounts there because I get very sad every time I get, um your Manchester City membership uh, needs to be renewed. I said, <laughs> no, I don't want to hear from you. Please go away. As an aside though, Mary Earps came out midweek and spoke about the hate she's received from not meeting all fans at the end of games. Now, one of the positive things about women's football is that it is accessible, but is there too much of a big expectation for fans that they're going to get... M- Photos or merch from the players. It does seem like it's getting a little bit ridiculous now, Michael.
1: Yes, in short. That's why I brought this up to talk to you about it, because I think as the media, there has to be a little bit of a responsible discussion about this. You know, there's been multiple WSL clubs and managers who've come out saying, oh, bring your fans to the game because they'll get everything signed and everything they want. I get that because you want to get people in the door. But we're getting to a point now at various clubs where you've got stories, and it's, you know, these aren't one off accounts now. This is happening everywhere to one degree or another. Hundreds of people surging to the front 10 or 15 minutes before the game's even finished. Like, I know disabled women's football supporters across different grounds in the country who can't see. And they're like, can you move? Because I literally can't watch the game. And people just refusing to move because they want the prime position to be at the front because they think if they're there, that's going to allow them to get things signed and that's where I think there has to be a little bit of pushback of like hey, we're here for the football like, that's what you've gone to see, that's the entertainment anything else that might happen afterwards is a bonus but you're not entitled to that you know, once upon a time when attendances were low and the exposure wasn't what it was now yeah, it was a time where players could could do that but this is what happens with growing pains with something that's developing but you cannot expect you know unless um, russo and ella toon at lee sports village to sign three thousand things every game like it's you know to me we're getting to a point where clearly there should be maybe a time limit in terms of how it's capped of how long it lasts after the final whistle maybe 10 15 minutes and then that's it or the other thing that to me is quite obvious which I know multiple WSL clubs already do this, which is you have the signing session in the city centre. There's a few WSL teams, and I really like this, who already do this, where they put up two men and two women, two men's players, two women's players, and you go to the mega store or wherever it might be, and you get signatures and a photo of all four, a designated event that's 12 till 2 and everybody goes along. And to me, I think we're getting to the point now in women's football where that, will likely be more of a more of a thing and on this note the other thing i find very uncomfortable that i know some teams across europe have started banning it is the can i have your shirt post to be can i have your boots post the can i have your you know if the other thing you have to remember is that for for women's players sometimes it's not actually that simple necessarily for them to be giving that stuff away they don't necessarily from sponsors have as many pairs of boots or keepers have as many pairs of gloves as you might think and I you know I'm all for a sign I'm all for a cute little sign I'm all for something funny creative different but the sort of demanding can I have your et you know whatever it's a it's like whoa hold on and so yeah that's that's why I think it's something worth raising and discussing, and maybe in how the game markets itself, it just needs to, you know, do that at a signing session or just do it afterwards. But. People will have some more realistic expectations.
0: Yeah, there definitely, definitely needs to be needs to be a shift there. Over to Stamford Bridge now, as Chelsea convincingly thumped Tottenham 3-0. Sam Kerr opened the accounts in the 12th minute. Cuthbert then scored what I consider to probably be a contender for goal of the season, an absolutely beautiful half volley. And then Ashley Neville gave away a very silly penalty, which Wrighton put in the back of the net. Honestly, I think Chelsea could have not come out in the second half, and the result would have stayed the same. Tottenham looked lethargic and slow. Honestly, don't know what to make of the performance. Sandra, care to shine a little bit of light of what's going on at Tottenham?
3: I think with with, with Tottenham, I think they what they miss definitely is they well what what they miss what they need is a kind of a a top draw striker. They need a, a finish or someone who will, uh, you know, at least. Help to kind of cause the problems to bring others into attack to to get you know to get the goals against the bigger sides. I think with Tottenham, they've had a kind of a mixed season where we've seen you know obviously they they lost to Man City at, at home, but then against Brighton they smash eight past them. But you get the, the impression that they're just a couple of players away from being able to cause trouble for you know for the top three sides. And I mean, even like for example, they lost Rachel Rachel Williams in the summer, but even if you had her there you may have caused Chelsea some problems. Because I know, I think the last game, I think one of the games I saw when they hosted, when they were against Chelsea at um, their old ground at the Hive, they they did cause Chelsea some problems. I mean, Rachel Williams was a, like a terrier. So, um, it's, yeah, they lo- looked a little bit methargic. I think there was one in this opportunity in the second half where Ashley Neville, she made a good run. And then when when she, you know, she let fly with the shot, it was quite tame and it was a comfortable save for and burger I think for that, for Tottenham, they just need to have a, a kind of cutting edge. And then, I mean, you look at Aston Villa and, you know, the business they did in the transfer market, getting Rachel Daly is really, you know, amongst the other signings they've got in the team, Kirsty Hansen on loan, Daly, it, you know, having Rachel Daly has really kind of given them a kind of new energy in terms of their attack. As, um Carla Ward said at the beginning of the season, she said, yeah, last term, last season, goals were a problem for us. But now that's not quite the case. I mean, with Tottenham, just need to they just need to find that kind of cutting edge and and to be able to to do something in terms of the attack. But it, they did seem a little bit lethargic against Chelsea in the games, like you say, wrapped up in by the, by the end of the first half.
0: Yeah, in the post match presser, I I actually I wanted to ask Rianne Skinner this, but I actually thought it was too mean because she looked very crestfallen afterwards. But what what is the aim for this Tottenham side? Because if you're consistently not able to score goals. They had the same problem last season, but then they whip out, as you said, the 8-0 against Brighton. It feels like they've spent all of their goal tickets for the season so far. But Michael, what what would this Tottenham side be aiming for? Because it's all well and good to say top three. But if you're playing like this against one of those teams, you're not really showing that kind of want or belief. I think
1: they want progress, don't they? I mean, they finished fifth last season they won nine league games the season before that they won five league games and when Ryan Skinner came in they were in all sorts of trouble and they won four in a row to get out of the relegation zone and a relegation battle so I think you have to provide it within that wider context they've sort of they've steadily improved each year they'd be in the league so the first thing you'd look at is okay the points tally in the position of last season I would actually say, from having commentated on a few of their games this season, that they will carry a greater goal threat this season. Um, I would be surprised if they don't actually significantly outscore their tally last season uh, when they were pretty much around the goal of the game. Drew Spence has added a lot. Ashley Neville's added a lot. The play they missed on Saturday, he does give them a bit of a focal point. Up top is Nikola Karcheska. Um, is quite, a, in a way, a little bit of an old school number nine. And what worked well for them in the win against Brighton was you started to see these new combinations click where Karcheska sort of bullies the centre-halves and then buys the space that Neville and Spence and Bisek can sort of enjoy in behind. So I do think there's more attacking threat there. The problem they've got is a lot of it is newly signed and sort of working its way together. And the other thing I don't think you can underestimate, having watched a lot of games across the years, commentating on them in the WSL, against Chelsea, Manchester City or Arsenal um, particularly, is if you concede an early goal, like, I was going to say nine times out of ten, it's not nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, it's pretty much mission impossible. Um, you know, for once Sam Kerr puts Chelsea in front, in front of a raucous Stamford Bridge as well, It's very, very difficult. Um, I know Shalina Zadorsky said post-match that Spurs felt felt like all three goals were quite preventable defensively. Um, And the other thing she said that I thought was a fair point and Skinner said was actually Spurs got in some good spaces against Chelsea, um, but they repeatedly sort of resorted to quite slightly speculative long shots rather than continuing the move on. There was various times... Um, where players got on the edge of the D and had an option left and right and shot, and that wasn't my words. That was that was Ryan Skinner's words. Now I know one thing metric they looked at, which they talked about after the Brighton game was they were sort of under not under orders, but they'd discuss shooting more. They discussed getting more shots off. They clearly looked at the analytics and decided we're actually like we need to have the courage to shoot more often, um, and maybe that sort of linked to those decisions that were made in those chances yesterday, which led to Skinner coming out and saying afterwards, could we have turned that having the ball on the edge of the box and a low percentage shot opportunity into a much better chance. But yeah, it's, it's difficult as well, because in a sense, you know, they're not at the same uh, exact stage as Manchester United, but they're, they're trying to achieve a similar thing in the longer term. And it's much easier said than done. You know, there's a reason why those three aforementioned teams have been free to catch for seven, eight years.
0: For Chelsea, Kadisha Buchanan played really, really well in this fixture, both defensively and progressively. I asked Emma Hayes about it in the post-match, and she said this.
5: Kadisha came in where we have a sort of hybrid um, back system where um, Kadisha was the central player within that before two games ago. um, I felt that we wasn't able to bring the best out of her because she was always driving centrally with the ball. So we adjusted for the last game with Millie and her and all I see now is her flourishing. And what I will say about that is, not once did she complain, not once did she hide. She always says to me, coach, what do you need from me? But the minute I put her back into that position, I can just see that her communication, her confidence and everything is increasing. And I think today was clearly her best in a Chelsea shirt, but that's, I think there's so much room for improvement again, positionally for her. But what a joy to coach, like really, really respectful human being who um, I think is going to add so much to our team. One thing I love about Emma Hayes is that she always
0: takes responsibility when like a like tactical decision isn't correct and I really respect that. It takes a lot to explain as a manager that you've positioned a player incorrectly and have now reworked it to fit the side kind of around them. Does that show the togetherness that Chelsea has a team that they can do this, Michael?
1: More than anything, it just shows Emma Hayes's experience with knowing how to integrate a new player, work them into that system, You know, there's a reason why she's been in charge of Chelsea for more than a decade. There's a reason why Chelsea are chasing a fourth WSL in a row, fifth in six seasons. And, um, you know, it's, it's sensible, shrewd management like that. And obviously that's the other big positive of the Chelsea Spurs game, which was to see Emma Hayes back on the touchline in sort of normal modus operandi. I think if you're a Chelsea fan, that's probably as good news as anything else, because you know, there will one day be a sense of, um, as and when her time at Chelsea does end, and I'm not saying there's anything I've heard particularly to think that that might be anytime soon, but it you know, nothing lasts forever. There will be a real tough legacy for whoever eventually takes that job after her to follow in, because the entirety of Chelsea women's growth across the last decade has been shaped and built around her, she's more than. Just, you know, your standard. Oh, there are first team managers. She is so much more to them than that. So, you know, when that day comes, it will be interesting. But for now, Chelsea trying to do the same thing they do domestically, but they'll hope with uh, a different European story.
0: Yeah, that that's what I was going to kind of get into next. They're playing Real Madrid um, midweek. Sandra, do you think they should be focusing on Champions League more now, looking to get that tro- that coveted Champions League trophy that Chelsea have never been able to clinch and no English side has been able to
3: get since Arsenal did it in 2007? Um, Emma Hayes has in the past always talked about the league being the bread and butter. So that's not going to change. The league will, will, you know, as in domestic league, will be the priority. I think, as normal, they'll probably want to go for everything. Champions League, uh, you know, will, will is important to them. Obviously, it's the one thing they they haven't one and they came you know they got to the final a couple of seasons ago which is a big kind of step forward milestone um I I mean I yeah the Champions League will be a priority the fact that they've beaten PS um PSG away that you know and they did it without without Emma um, being on a touchline and, and that's a significant step forward but um yeah it'll be important but I think as usual they'll want everything if they can if, if they can get all the trophies they'll want all the trophies league in particular I'd say champions league up there too is the the main priorities but um yeah I mean I'm sure they'll want to do well in Europe and, and to reach the final again and what's interesting is obviously some of the so-called giants like Leon, I mean they're struggling with their injuries they're kind of teetering so well, apart from obviously Barcelona, but, you know, when you've got the lights of Leon wobbling, you think, oh, you know, is there an opportunity there now? And, you know, that will be on the minds of Chelsea and some of their other rivals. But, yeah, Champions League will be a top priority along with, with the league as well, as usual.
0: We just have to mention uh, Villa versus Reading at Villa Park, because although Reading took the lead through Diane Caldwell, Rach Daly was doing Rach Daly things and scored a hat-trick to clinch the three points for Villa. Now, this isn't all daily because Kenzie Adali has actually created more chances than any other player in the WSL this season at 22, which is really quite, really quite huge. How important was Daily as a signing for Villa? And do you think she's going to shape their progression going forward? It almost seems to have given them like
3: confidence. Um, sorry, yeah. So with with Daily, I think I mean she's that's a huge signing. I think that I think uh Definitely in terms of just making that difference in terms of the the lack of goals that they had last season, the kind of the um that kind of challenge they had in terms of the finishing in the final third. I mean, she she has changed that. I mean, she's up there as a top scorer alongside um Khadijah Shaw. So we know she's gonna be if she continues this form, which um they you know, that she'll be in the running for a golden boot. And what's interesting is Villa now look like they're back at where they were when when they did that four three shock de- um you know defeat of Manchester City at the start of the season. But you can't underestimate what the others are doing as well alongside Dale, as you mentioned, Darley, um you know Kirsty Hanson. What a shrewd signing that was. Blinkilda um was you know making improving just with having the, the quality of those players around her, and then obviously Corsi at the back, um along with Mas Pacheco. I think the team combined is you know really putting together but Rachel Daly has kind of been a kind of uh, a, a focus or kind of uh, the kind of impetus for that the fact that she's so clinical when she gets the opportunity and the fact that she dovetails quite well with Kenza Dali um, you know in terms of that that attack and when they counter they are dangerous they are very dangerous for any team now so you know be interesting to see what they
0: do. Elsewhere in the WSL, City beat Everton 2-1 at Wharton Hall Park. Brighton and Liverpool both scored three in their six-goal thriller draw. And Izzy Atkinson clinched the win for West Ham against Leicester in the 88th minute. Michael, any highlights um from you from the other games this weekend?
1: Well, the Izzy Atkinson thing was a really nice story. Like at the start of every season as a commentator, you go through your notes and you update them and you look at who's come in and you do your background on them. And there was an interview where she was sort of talking, just beaming about having come from Celtic to sign for a WSL club, it being a dream come true. And the just natural enthusiasm and effervescence about it sort of struck me. And so to go score a late winner, your first goal, that was really nice. Um, and Rachel Furness, bit of late drama and then Manchester City are just starting to knit together. It is almost a, a women's football meme that they start every season badly. And I know some Manchester City fans almost joke that by their standards, this is quite a good start to the season because their blip wasn't too big and their injury crisis wasn't too big. I've seen um a lot of ignorance, shall we say, about rightly discussions about all the lionesses that left, but people not seeming to understand the quality of players that have come in. You know, Mary Fowler was nominated for Golden Girl. Queen Dana is literally an institution on an entire continent, such as her ability with a ball at her feet. Um, and then you've got Wahabi and then you've got Alexandri. Like when those players knit together, make no mistake, Manchester City will be a serious team. They lost a lot in the summer. But as those players and those combinations start to work as time goes on, that will be an advantage of them, as will the fact that they're not in Europe as well. That will be something that across the season you would think would steadily help them too.
0: On to the championship. And um, we were at Bramwell Lane to see Sheffield United welcome a record crowd of 11,137 as they took on second place London City Lionesses. It was the home crowd who went home disappointed in the end as a fifth-minute goal from Amy Rogers and an 81st-minute strike from Jamaican international Atalana Primus saw the Lionesses go at top. Producer Luke caught up with manager Melissa Phillips and goal scorer Rogers after the game.
6: So Melissa, really good three points here today.
7: Yeah, look, I, all the credit goes to the team today because, it, you know, there wasn't a ton of football being played. It was yeah. quite transitional and it was very scrappy and a lot of loose ball duels. And the way we competed was fantastic. But I think we scored goals at really critical times mm. in the game today.
6: Yeah, I was going to say the first goal was really key because they just had a penalty shout they, at one end. You went up the other while maybe the emotions were still high and quiet in the crowd.
7: That's something that we speak about often is that teams are at their most vulnerable when they've just had a big chance on the other end yeah. and so we knew you know with our ability to press if they were going to play out of the back that we could nick the ball from them and it's a fantastic uh goal tucked away by amy rogers and so yeah look like i said I said it before i think we scored goals at the right times and that was certainly very critical to to quiet the crowd early in the game
6: was the pressure on today coming here in front of a big crowd or did you thrive on it
7: you know what, this team lives for big moments. So I think they were looking forward to it. What an exceptional display for women's football. You love to see that the crowds are growing and that, you know, men's stadiums are being utilized as such and, and you know, it's a fantastic performance from us to be able to, you know, despite these aren't our fans, yeah. um, it's a fantastic performance from us and and hopefully now we can gather some home crowd for the next weekend's game
6: I was going to ask about that obviously with the success of the Euros everyone's focusing on WSL but it just shows the championship as well the crowds and the appetites there as well
7: yeah look I think um it's, the game is growing and it's fantastic to see it grow at such a rapid pace but this has been a lot of hard work by everyone in this country and the FA and the various clubs who've really grafted over the past you know further than five years and now you're seeing the, the fruits of that so it's really just great to see
6: and, and as it stands you are top obviously are thoughts on the ambitions maybe getting into the WSL
7: There's a few games to be played yet today and we'll continue to climb um, and we'll stay focused on our own mission, but that is the ambition of the club. We do want to be a WSL club and I think over the past Three years, we've taken the right steps year in and year out to just continue to build the infrastructure and the support around the players so we can be competitive on the pitch.
2: Yeah, it was obviously a really good win. And last year we came here and we were 1-0 up and ended up losing 2-1. So I think it's just massive that we obviously got the first goal and then got the win in the end.
6: I was saying to Melissa then, it was a really important time to score just off the day they had a penalty shout. There was a lot of emotion around, wasn't there?
2: Yeah, there was. I think with a crowd of this size, there's always going to be a bit of emotion involved. And every time they got the ball and went forward, they were obviously cheering them on. So, yeah, it was just crucial to get a first goal, really, and obviously happy that I could contribute.
6: And a big win for you. You've had a really good start to the season, haven't you? Yeah, personally, and from a team point of view.
2: Yeah, I think so. Obviously, I think we're second in the table. Um,
6: I'm not sure what well, you're top other... at the minute. Oh, until Brist- now, Bristol have kicked off, but oh. at the minute you are top.
2: Yeah, well, that's great, obviously. But all we really focus on is each game and winning each game and getting the three points. So that's all that matters, really.
6: Did you thrive on coming somewhere like here today? You know, knowing there'd be a big crowd in as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's why we play football. You want to play it in front of the fans. And obviously, the women's game doesn't always have the most fans. But obviously, today was such a great occasion and such a great experience for all of us players.
6: It's a really interesting project at your club, isn't it? You've kind of flown under the radar and you're gradually edging towards the top and it's um, a really progressive club, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. Um, I think the ambition of the club is incredible, and the fact that we're just a, a sole women's team, I think, is a, is a great,
0: it's a great credit to the club, and it's just an exciting place to be. That result dropped Sheffield United to 10th position, with just seven points from eight games. And Luke also caught up with a very unhappy manager, Neil Redfern, and friend of the podcast, Courtney Sweetman Kirk.
8: Neil, disappointing result in the end. It was, yeah, yeah. I thought we, I thought we often puffed. I thought we competed for large spells and. You know, we got in front of the goal a few times, but, you know, I thought they were slightly the better side, if I'm honest. Um, you know, it's disappointing because, you know, you, you, you're wanting a performance. I thought we'd, we'd give everything. You know, you could see that. We left everything out on the pitch. Um, but at this moment, we're just a little bit short.
6: Big moment early on, wasn't it? Five minutes in, you had a massive penalty shot, then he went up the other end and scored. Yeah, it's, it's a penalty.
8: You know, even their gaffer, Melissa, she's saying it's a penalty, you know, and... and I, you know, I, mean, I don't want to criticise the referee, but you can't get those sort of things wrong. But obviously she did, and it affects the game. To be honest with you, because if we go one nil up, you know it might be a different game, and you know with other chances than that. I mean, you know, it's not a two 0 game to be honest. But I thought they slightly had the edge.
6: You mentioned about huffing and puffing. Do you think playing here with a crowd? Do you think that played a part at all? Or?
8: Um, well, it's fantastic because we had a big crowd here today. But you know, we've had a crowd for other games, and the girls have been been fine. Um, you know so you've just got to put it down to experience but um, you know it's a fantastic turnout the championships. it's a tough league now
6: isn't it it's not as part time as everyone thinks I saw an interview you mentioned about you felt you were probably in the right position in terms of the other teams that are in the the league there's a lot of full time teams now isn't there
8: absolutely you know and probably we've got left behind a little bit you know financially Um, and it's it's an issue Um, but you know, you, you you don't bring all them things in once you cross, cross the white line and you're out on the grass. You know, it's just 11 v 11. And, um, you know, the girls played OK today, you know, and, and we've got most stuff right. But, you know, it's the fine margins against the better size that you, you've got to excel in. And, um, you know, we, we were a little bit short.
6: Finally, I know you just
8: mentioned the crowd. It's great, wasn't it? Over 11,000 yeah. in here today. Yeah, brilliant brilliant, you know, and and they got behind the girls, you know, we're getting beat, they're still getting behind us and, and still, you know, trying to get us in front of goal and um, you know, I, I think the people of Sheffield are brilliant you know, they love the football, um, they love the football club and, um, you know they've included girls and, and the girls are really appreciative of it, you know, it's a fantastic thing
6: Of course, not the result you wanted today uh, here at Bramall Lane No, it was disappointing, especially
9: with all the fans we got in, we were hoping to to give them a bit of a show in the three points, but not to be today.
6: Yeah, you had um, a big penalty shout early on, didn't you? And then they went up the other end in scored. What, what did you make of that?
9: Yeah, disappointing. Obviously, I've got to be careful about what I say, but I think, obviously, last man as well. I think that massively changes the game. And I think all 11,000 plus in that in the stadium today could see that was a blatant penalty. That's disappointing, but equally... Got to defend better, like say, got the other end and score. Um, so it was poor
6: from us, and, and the same in
9: the second half. It's mistakes that have led to the goals.
6: Yeah, you were kind of feeding off scraps a little bit second half, weren't you?
9: Yeah, it was difficult. I think we've we've probably not played through the thirds enough. Like you know, we can do it in training. We've done it in, in fits and starts this season. Um, and yeah, for you know, we're going for a difficult period where it's not quite clicking at the moment.
6: Great to see eleven thousand here though in Bramall Lane.
9: Yeah, it was was great. It was a fantastic occasion. Obviously, like I say, it was disappointing. Um, But, yeah, hopefully, you know, now we've done that once, we can start getting, you know, that amount of people in
6: regularly to the lane. It just shows, doesn't it, that the Euro success isn't just to the WSL. It's a championship now, isn't it?
9: Yeah, definitely. And I think normally sort of you, you see an uplift in the first couple of games of the season and then it drops off again. But the fact that we're still in November... You know, the game here, Stamford Bridge is sold out today. I was at the Emirates uh, yesterday with 40,000. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think the fact that it's, it's still, you know, going on, we've still got the uplist is fantastic. And then we've got the World Cup to think about and, you know, next summer too.
0: Michael, as we heard there, it just shows that the game is growing, not just at the WSL level, but below that as well. For example, Sheffield United last season, their season two... Oh my God. For example, Sheffield United season ticket holders have gone up from 28 last season to over 600 this season. And the championship is currently averaging a higher attendance than League One out in France, which I think is pretty incredible and shows the strength of the league across the whole pyramid.
1: Yeah, it's a brilliant league. And it's great to see that attendances are rocketing. It's starting to get more of the coverage that it deserves. There's a genuinely fantastic even unpredictable sense about it that you just aren't quite going to get in the WSL because of the disparities in terms of budget and history and clubs and Bristol City losing I think was good because it now means that everybody has lost so if you're a neutral following this it just clumps that title race together and that's the other particularly great thing which is the title race is totally open-ended I mean you probably say everyone even down to sort of Blackburn in eighth can say we're still in it. I mean, Blackburn in eighth, eight points off London City, Lionesses, Lewis, Crystal Palace, Birmingham City, they've all got a game in hand that they'll think if we win that, we're right up there. A big dramatic title race always helps a league in terms of profile and coverage. Have been quite a few in recent seasons with only one promotion spot where if a team gets a fast start, pulls away from the pack, And they can, across the rest of the season, seem to be a little bit of a sense of inevitability that they're going to do it. It doesn't look like that's going to happen at all. Quite the opposite, which is great for the league. At the bottom, obviously, Coventry United had that amazing Molly Green, last second free kick, Sem for down. Absolute scene. And we saw that go worldwide. So you get something like that with a promotion race. There's no reason the same can't happen. And I've commentated on a fair bit of it for the FA player across the last two seasons since they've started picking one game around. Um, I've done a fair bit of it when I'm not on the WSL. And it's a much better standard than a lot of people seem to give it credit for. And it's only going up because you're starting to see, for example, Southampton have come through this year, another side who are backed by a Premier League men's club, which probably does help. I know they're putting in a fair bit of of money and so again when you have a newly promoted team that comes into the league and is third with two points a game after nine plays inevitably again the strength of the league is only going up and up and up so it's great to see
0: bristol city dropped to second after losing 1-0 at home to birmingham city jade pennock's 52nd minute goal stink- sinking the vixens despite being second city remain in a good position a point behind with also a game in hand Southampton are in third and missed the chance to go level at the top as they could only draw 1-1 at Blackburn Rovers. Katie Wilkinson had opened the scoring for the Saints, but an equaliser five minutes from time from Saffron Jordan pegged them back. Charlton won the South London Derby at Selhurst Park against Crystal Palace thanks to two first-half goals from Emily Simpkins from the penalty spot and Melissa Johnson. Coventry remained pointless at the bottom as five first-half goals, including a hat-trick from Rio Hardy, saw Durham out of sight after the first 45. Sunderland are just above them as they lost again, but this time at home to Lewis, with Emily Hack getting the only goal in the 83rd minute. Just one league game in the National League North as Liverpool Feds beat Loughborough Lightning, thanks to two goals in two minutes from Nicola James and Paige Cole, which moves the Feds into seventh and Loughborough stay bottom. Three games in the National League South. The leaders, Oxford, didn't play, and the second place, Watford, couldn't take advantage. But they surprisingly lost at home to Billericay 3 2. Ipswich moved up to third after thumping a 5 0 win over Plymouth Argyle down in the southwest at home park, and MK Dons beat the London Bees 2 0. We are going to be back next week to review the action and bring you the latest news from the women's game. Thank you very much to our guest today, Sandra. Where can people find you on social media?
3: Um, at Sandra Broby, which is B R O B B E Y seventy eight on Twitter.
0: Awesome, and Michael, thank you for coming on. How about you? Where can people find you?
1: A shameless Twitter handle at, but it's mainly because my name is too generic. Um, at this is McCann M um, double
0: awesome and make sure to follow us too on twitter at twfp1 and on instagram at the women's football podcast please subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms and leave us a review because it really helps us out thank you guys and have a great week